You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by SolarAy Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and watches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach, ITK analyst. David, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Giles. And I trust all our listeners are well and I'd like to welcome our very special guest today. Yes, look, we're heading to New South Wales today and we've got as our special guest Adam Searle. He's the head of the Labor Party in the Legislative Council and he's also their spokesman on energy and resources and mines. And I'm not too sure if I got them entirely right, Adam, but all the same, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Giles. Thanks for having me on. Look, it's great that you're here. Um, I guess I can start with New South Wales has kind of been a bit of an intriguing state for us. Uh, We've talked quite a bit about it. About a year and a half ago, your um, opposite number, the Energy Minister, Don Harwin, made what I would actually rank as one of the great speeches about the future of energy in Australia. It was all about the sort of the shift to a distributed future and renewable energy and how baseload will become passe as a as a term and a means of delivery of energy. But um, it was a mighty fine speech, but we haven't seen much happening since. What do you suspect is going on? Well, the New South Wales government actually hasn't done a lot on energy in its eight years in office. Uh, At the moment, as you've said, the current minister has given uh, a fine speech and the government likes to make a lot of good noises. Even the former minister, Anthony Roberts, liked going to renewable energy conferences and talking up how much investment was occurring in solar and wind, while at the same time his government was doing nothing to promote uh, the switch to renewable energy. And in fact, Um, the planning agency was doing everything it could to get in the way of thwarting uh, wind farm proposals. So um, it's fair to say that the role the New South Wales Liberal National Government seems to have taken to itself is uh, that of commentator uh, rather than uh, any kind of actor in the energy space. They're all uh, waiting to see what comes of the National Energy Guarantee proposal. Uh, They're happy to outsource policy development to Canberra because that's worked so well for the country in the last decade. Uh, And everything else they're prepared to leave to the market, which has seen massive market failure. Uh, They've deregulated retail electricity prices, seeing prices get out of control pretty quickly. They sold all the state-owned energy generators and now the distribution companies and prices at every point of production have just got out of control. And I think it's largely because of the way the state government's gone about uh, selling everything. So talk is cheap. Mm. What we really need is, a, I think, a pretty clear roadmap about where New South Wales needs to go in the next five, ten years. While it's fantastic that there might be a a national approach, and that's certainly what the Labor Party wants to see, a national approach charting how and when we, you know, move from our current mix of energy to one where uh, it all comes from renewable sources. Um, But if there isn't that national plan, um, what are the states going to do? Um, Individual states in the past have 
developed their own plan post the 2020 ending of the uh, RET. Um, but no, if there's no national policy providing clarity beyond 2020, the states have to make their own way, and the other states have done that. But New South Wales apparently has no plan. So, Adam, I might ask, uh, what's your thinking about what the plan should be about in New South Wales? And when I say your thinking, I guess I'm asking for your thoughts and then where you might separate them from official policy of the Labor Party. Well, certainly we can do that. I mean, in terms of the official policy, we have already outlined a pretty strong approach to two things. One is uh, re-regulating the retail electricity market in a series of ways to uh, make sure that the big retail energy companies aren't price gouging uh, businesses and customers. And part and parcel of that is making sure there is a fair feed-in tariff uh, for solar households. There's 380,000 solar households in New South Wales. Um, until a couple of years ago, they got a desultory uh, feed-in tariff recommended by our independent pricing regulator. Uh, a couple of years ago, the regulator suggested that the feed-in tariff should be increased significantly, where it's now 11 to 14 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, the same independent regulator has now said that that should be slashed by nearly half and that would be a massive disincentive uh, for more households to put solar on their roof and I don't need to tell you that the people with rooftop solar have actually contributed to saving something like $2 billion off wholesale electricity costs for all consumers so it's a good thing. So we would do two things. Uh, we would make sure that there was a regulated and mandatory fair feed-in tariff. We would also make sure that the energy companies net build customers, that is, you are billed for your net consumption. Um, and I think that's an important step to really uh, make sure that people get full credit for their rooftop solar. So, so that's, that's so on the small side. Um, it, I, I, if I look, though, at, say, Victoria and Queensland, they have specific renewable energy targets. In Victoria, it's a legislative target. In Queensland, it's just a policy uh, that, nevertheless, they seem to be reasonably committed to. I guess in New South Wales, as the state where nearly all of the thermal generation is slated to close over the next 15 to 18 years... Uh, is it enough for the New South Wales government to just rely on the energy market to replace all that, or would it be better to have uh, some kind of bigger policy? No, a much bigger policy is absolutely required, um, and, the, and the scale of the challenge is, is this. Something like 65% of our current installed generation capacity is due to retire in the next 15 years. Um, there is something like 14,000 megawatts of mainly renewable energy proposals that have been approved in the planning system but something like 1,200 megawatts only are under construction. So you don't have to be a genius to work out that there is market failure in terms of making sure there is enough new build electricity generation capacity actually being built in time to replace 
the ageing fleet of coal-fired power stations that will be retiring over the next decade, decade and a half. So we're experiencing market failure, so government does need to take firm steps to ensure that um, New South Wales customers, homes and businesses are not caught short. Now, what does that look like? Now, our state conference last year of the ALP said that a New South Wales Labor government should look at building, owning and operating renewable energy generators to make sure there was sufficient supply and also to ensure ensure effective competition in the market. And that is something that we are obviously considering very closely. Uh, Obviously, I'm also interested in the approach taken by Victorian Labor governments in uh, the Victorian Labor government and also the ACT Labor government in terms of uh, so-called reverse auctions to uh, leverage uh, private investment into uh, energy generation, construction and delivering uh, energy to local markets. So I think those are three things that certainly need to be looked at very closely because that's the thing about a market. You can't hold anyone accountable if someone doesn't build a new energy generator, but governments will be held to account if the community either doesn't have enough electricity or um, electricity prices get even higher than they are today. So that's the big picture um, challenge for government and we'll have a lot to say about that as we get closer to the election. Your first point uh, about renewable energy targets. We in New South Wales have said we support absolutely and strongly federal Labor's renewable energy target of 50% by 2030. Um, We haven't up till this point had or favoured a standalone state target um, because we hope and believe that in the near future there will be a federal Labor government to give national leadership to this. But obviously, uh, if there isn't, uh, we do have to give some clear uh, thought to what would be our objective and whether it's a percentage of renewable energy by certain points in time or whether uh, the objective is to have a certain amount of uh, electricity generation capacity built and operational by certain points in time. That second approach might be a more tangible one because you never quite know exactly when existing assets will be leaving the market. And so if you set yourself a percentage of, you know, uh, say 40% by 2025, um, obviously that gives you a certain uh, yardstick to measure your performance, but that's not the same as saying, well, we'll make sure there's an additional, um, you know, three or four gigawatts of installed capacity built and operational. I think the more tangible approach, rather than setting a percentage in terms of a renewable energy target, it's uh, an installed capacity generation function would be as a better measure of uh, how close you're getting to a renewable energy system. Well, given that, um, given the amount of coal generation that's probably going to retire up to about 2030 and certainly by 2035, unless your intention is to replace it with more coal capacity, we'd be interested to know what your view is of that, or 
gas capacity, which is probably expensive, then the chances are it's going to be replaced by renewables or storage. So as you say, you may not need a specific percentage renewable target, but um, a capacity replacement uh, for that coal target could be, um, for, for the coal generation could be, um, could be a way to go and, and get to the same result. Well, let's be very clear. I don't know any person in their right mind who thinks uh, building new coal-fired power stations is good either economically or environmentally. So I think we can start from the proposition that's a a non-starter. And while there is a role for gas and gas peaking, you, you rightly point out that at the present time, gas is relatively expensive. Uh, I do think the future of the energy system will look something like uh, solar and wind underpinned by storage technologies. Obviously, batteries are interesting and important, uh, but their capacities at the moment, particularly on a large or industrial scale, is somewhat limited. So we're really talking at the moment about pumped hydro. Uh, Pumped hydro is the most reliable form of existing storage technology. About 97% of the stored energy in the world takes that form. Uh, Obviously, at the moment, we've got the Snowy Hydro 2.0 proposal, um, but that is caught up with the complexity of the need to significantly upgrade transmission capacity. It's, you know, no good, you know, creating Snowy Hydro 2.0 if you can't get the energy Uh, out of the snowy and into people's homes and businesses. Um, So that's a a big challenge made more complicated by the fact that Liberal national governments have sold our transmission systems to the private market. So we're in that very difficult space. So I do think it's essentially going to be wind and solar underpinned by pumped hydro batteries as they become, uh, as they evolve, uh, and also demand response. Um, and and other measures like that and and probably other approaches that um, I certainly haven't thought of at present and and others may not have as well. So um, you never can tell what's around the corner, but I think that's a pretty clear outline of the kind of energy system that we need to get towards if we're going to have uh, enough energy and energy that is affordable as well as being energy that is sustainable um, over the long term. So I guess, um, Adam, uh, you, another point is that the Labor Party, I think, has said that it will spend the snowy proceeds on regional New South Wales. Um, it, but is that a, a plan for electricity in regional New South Wales? I think there's a number of people, the Integrated System Plan has identified this fantastic potential for solar and wind in both uh, southern country New South Wales and and northern country New South Wales. Do you see a role for the state government in kind of facilitating that? My personal feeling is that uh, uh, if, you know, Transgrid, whether privately or privately owned, was actually given the right signal that everyone would get behind it, uh, it'd probably be very willing to build some of this transmission links. Uh, You're right, David. I think the state government needs to be a, a far more active player in terms of Uh, reflecting uh, public sentiment and public interest in terms of giving uh, some shape to uh, what uh, even the private companies should be doing. In terms of the Snowy Hydro proceeds, uh, the Labor leader, Luke Foley, said we would spend all of those proceeds in the regions, uh, which 
point of view the government has reluctantly come to. We've also said that some of those proceeds will be invested in new renewable energy generation projects to be located also in the regions. So that's a commitment that we uh, reiterated at last weekend's New South Wales ALP conference. Uh, the principles for dispersing the Snowy Hydro money was firstly to invest in jobs, uh, to support decentralisation of population and economic activity, uh, and also uh, to invest in energy generation projects. And we will flesh that commitment out with more specifics as we get closer uh, to the election, but I think you will definitely see a very strong plan uh, and a very clear signal to all players in the energy market uh, as to uh, how much new installed capacity needs to be constructed, um, over what time scale. Uh, we're not going to say exactly where, but we do think the regions uh, outside of the major metropolitan areas is the sensible place. Uh, obviously, that's where a lot of the good solar and wind resource is, so it's a it's a no-brainer, and um, so that's the that's the kind of clear direction that you will expect uh, to see from the Labor Party as we approach the next state election. And, and Adam, you, you don't have a um, um, a seat yourself at the COAG meeting, but I guess you will have been taking the pulse of uh, of the NEG. Uh, what's your own thinking about it? Look, I'm profoundly ambivalent about the NEG, the National Energy Guarantee. Um, it really depends on what details are provided. I mean, some people say, look, as long as you get the framework there, then, you know, if there's bipartisan uh, consensus about the framework, then obviously a future federal Labor government can, can dial up some of the energy intensity uh, obligations. Um, that's certainly possible, but uh, the first question in my mind is uh, will and how will the National Energy Guarantee framework uh, build in uh, the existing uh, post-2020 renewable energy objectives of the different states and territories that have those objectives, uh, or will it seek to uh, require those states to uh, jettison those targets in favour of a a lower national approach. The second concern I've got, which has been reflected in some of the evidence given to the New South Wales Upper House Inquiry into electricity prices, supply and demand, is that the NEG might try and take a very blunt approach to the uh, Paris targets. That is, rather than, as everyone has assumed, uh, applying a much higher percentage uh, cuts in carbon emissions for the electricity sector to simply apply to the electricity sector the same or the sort of the national target, if you like, of 28 to 36 percent. Um, the danger of that kind of approach in the NEG is that it might act as a break on the development of new renewable energy generation uh, projects. That is something that I think we would not want to see. Uh, not simply because renewable energy is good and sustainable, but because, as we've discussed already, with so much of our current installed electricity generation capacity in the form of coal-fired power stations likely to exit the market in the next decade and a half, uh, that would almost guarantee 
high prices remain a feature of our economy forever and households will remain groaning under the weight of crippling electricity bills and there would be there also the the very real prospect that we could be caught short with energy shortages that is something that we would want to avoid at all costs so i hope that the coag process produces a sensible and functional framework that all political parties state and federal can sign up to but with the final decision I think being scheduled for something like October with the Victorian state election being November, uh, the state election here in New South Wales being the following March and the federal election being any time between now and next May. You know, those are inauspicious circumstances to try and reach <laughs> cross-party, cross-jurisdictional state and federal agreement on a major piece of economic as well as social architecture and policy. I wish them all the best, but I, I think uh, they'll be up against it. Hmm. I'd just like to um, ask, go back to what you mentioned about um, developing renewables in New South Wales. You talked about government ownership or government investment. Can you just explain what the rationale is there and why not just leave it to the market if uh, if the New South Wales government would set a, uh, a capacity target, um, facilitate investment? Uh, why does the government need to get involved as an investor and owner of these assets? Well, we've seen at the present time clear market failure. That is that um, even though the, the the shortfall that was caused by Hazelwood unexpectedly exiting the market was closed uh, pretty quickly, the uncertainty or perceived uncertainty that created certainly enabled the generators to raise wholesale electricity prices fairly substantially. So the, the thought behind uh, a state um, publicly owned energy reserve or generators would be to ensure two things. One is to make sure that there was uh, an adequate supply of energy to the market outside of the private providers. And secondly, to make sure that there was, uh, through that mechanism, a source of energy that was going to keep downward pressure on wholesale electricity prices in circumstances where, despite a diversity of generators, uh, there is often quite significant price spikes um, causing difficulties for households and businesses. So I understand that you know reasonable minds can differ on whether there should be state-owned capacity uh, in terms of generators, um, but that is certainly something that we are giving thought to uh, because that's what our Labor Party conference has put forward. But also, I think there are sound public policy reasons around making sure there is adequate competition and where adequate competition is not providing reasonable prices to have a, a state function that can intervene in the market to put downward pressure is not an unreasonable uh, issue to explore and give close consideration to. I would say, sorry, that the um, um, federal government has, of course, in a sense, cleared the way for this because they have bought Snowy 2, uh, which is going to be a player in the market. And most people don't understand that Snowy 2 is the fourth largest retailer by customer numbers already. So it's clear that the, the federal government has kind of encouraging, in a sense, or cleared the path for the state governments to go down this path. 
But I would also suggest to you that it's not particularly good policy because it's quite clear that if you've got governments, state or federal, making rules, but also owning one of the teams that are playing in the game, the team running the other direction isn't going to feel too happy about the whole thing. Well, that's thing. true, but I guess it depends uh, to what degree, although the government owns Snowy uh, Hydro, and you're right, Red Energy, the retail arm, is, is the fourth largest retailer. The question is, does the government actually make the day-to-day management decisions of that company? Um, you also have to bear in mind that until very recently... Uh, you know, the government in New South Wales owned generators up until 2014. And, of course, in Queensland, the state government still owns uh, generators. Um, so, And, and the South Australian government wish it did. Well, that's right. So what you've got is a fairly mixed bag in terms of the market. It's not an entirely privatised market. Um, and, and, again, the question for governments is, what do you do with this market failure? I mean... You get the blame, but privatisation and deregulation to a large degree has deprived elected governments of the levers to fix problems now that they have occurred. Um, you can try and sort things out by good, stable, long-term policy, policy that is cross-party and cross-jurisdictional, and obviously that's highly desirable. But even then, that doesn't necessarily guarantee reasonable and affordable prices for homes and businesses. Oh, we hope it will, but what if it doesn't? What do you do to make sure that you have a true competitive tension in the market, uh, not just one driven by different actors whose motive is profit only? Um, maybe you do need to have a couple of actors in the marketplace whose job it is is just to keep prices as low as they can, whose the guiding objective isn't necessarily to make profit. Now, I'm not saying that's a concluded view, but I think it's a it's a legitimate view in the circumstances that we found ourselves in where you've had this massive market failure leading to quite catastrophic price increases. Um, in New South Wales, we've had price increases of over 60% in the last seven years, uh, including a, a big 20% hike uh, in the middle of last year, like 20% in one go. That is pretty big. Um, I can't think of another line of business that's hiked its prices uh, so much in recent history. Well, I, I would just say that in markets, high prices are as natural as low prices. And you, if you're going to have a market at all, you have to be able to accept high prices. High prices provide the signal for new investment. I, I get that people don't like high prices and I guess and I get that high prices have costs and occasionally it drives some people out of business who haven't protected themselves adequately. But I guess we see do see the same thing, you know, in China they see it in iron ore. We see it in the oil price which goes up and down and reflects itself in petrol prices. And the, but look, it's an ideological argument. I don't want to get too bogged down on it. Uh, and also, I appreciate we're getting to the time end of our end of our time, Adam. I'd, I'd like to say thanks very much for for being on the podcast. It's fantastic to hear uh, the policies that you've espoused, most of which I think are in line with the way I think about what needs to happen. And I look forward to hearing some more details on them. I'd like to interrupt actually and um, throw Adam one last question about electric vehicles. Um, what just just briefly, what would you what would you do in government to encourage or otherwise electric vehicles? 
Well, Giles, we'll certainly have something to say about electric vehicles as we get closer to the election. So um, uh, it, it is something we're giving a lot of thought to and certainly uh, how we can encourage um, the uptake and the, the development of electric vehicles because obviously reducing uh, fossil fuel dependence for our land transport fleet will be one of the big ways in which we can cut our carbon emissions. Uh, but if you replaced all the current land transport vehicles uh, now with electric vehicles, if you did that overnight, we would need something like 35 to 40% more electricity than we're currently generating. Um, so that is obviously something that we have to be mindful. But we do have to develop the infrastructure and the road rules to go not just with electric vehicles, but also autonomous vehicles. Um, that is certainly something that the two need to go uh, hand in glove. But um, so we will have something more to say about that. Just to take David's uh, last point about the energy market, though, I think this is one of the issues with electricity. Hitherto, it was an essential. We're now we've turned it into a commodity. And whether you really can do that with something like electricity, which is uh, an absolute essential to everyone's life and business, is really questionable. Uh, whether you can think of uh, energy in the same market way in which you say talk about other commodities you know if, if the price of my favorite coffee is too high i can switch to another brand but if your electricity is too high there is a limit to what you as an individual can do so i think this tells you why the public have very different expectations of outcomes in terms of energy prices than they might in respect of other things well, thank you very much. I don't really, really enjoy your contribution there. Um, just personally, I'm not going to go um, that far with autonomous vehicles. Why Google? Um, as long as Google Maps decides that my house is actually six kilometres further down the road than it actually is, so I'm going to be a bit, bit cautious about that. But um, certainly, electric vehicles would be exciting. David, just a quick wrap, um, if we can, of the past week and the week ahead. We had been hoping to see the integrated system plan, but that's been put off for another week. We were hoping to see the ACCC investigation into whole sale prices. Now, we understand that report as of this recording has been given to the Treasurer's Office, but we haven't seen it released yet. So it'd be interesting to see what that says, and that may influence the timing of that release. Um, anything else on your radar before we say goodbye? No, Giles, they're certainly the two things I'm looking for. And also, I guess, to keep following the progress of the NEG. Um, um, I noticed that the Energy Security Board is already thinking about the integrated system plan and, and getting ready to turn its attention to that. As we've said before, that plan doesn't have any legislative uh, backing. It's just a, a proposal, if you're uh, from AEMO. But I think it provides a vision. And as I said last week, we're going to have to think about the investment requirements that it proposes, and that investment has to be paid for. <laughs> and it probably means, as I say before, you, you need price signals to get in to drive investment. And of course, if you put prices up in front of the meter, then you get all this competition from behind the meter. And so another part of the problem that we have to work on is integrating those two so to get the best outcome for everyone. I think efficiency is what we're aiming for. Uh, and, and reliability. But no, nothing else, Giles. No, that's good. Look, I'd like to thank you, David, and I'd like to thank everyone out there listening to this podcast. Remember, there's this podcast and the Solar Insiders podcast as well you can find on your favourite platform. And finally, Adam, just one final thank you and goodbye and um, good luck in the upcoming election in the next few months and um, with all your other... Um, seems a bit of, uh, still a bit of work to do on some of the fine details of the policy. Indeed, Giles. Thank you to you and thank you, David.
And thank you all very much. And we'll be back uh, at the same time next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.